This is Integrating Technology, episode 45. Integrating Technology for a living. Integrating Technology for fun. Integrating Technology to help people get shit done. Welcome to Integrating Technology, episode 45. My name is Patrick Murray, and on today's show, I speak with Joe Way about the University of Southern California's digital transformation of their AV department. And it is an incredibly interesting experience that Joe shares with us about the challenges and the successes and the approach, and most importantly, the mindset that it took to really change the way they approach AV. And I have to be honest You know, AV has come a long way from soldering XLRs and crimping BNC connectors. But some of the things that Joe touched upon, it was um, a little uncomfortable for me because I still come from that mindset of there's boxes in a rack that I need to control. And as much as I love software and I'm aware of all of the advantages it has for AV, the exciting opportunities it provides... I still find it difficult at times to break out of that mindset of devices in a room. And Joe really helps to give form to the mindset needed to adapt to a world that really is based on connecting services. And he wraps up the conversation with a call to be fearless, to go out there and get it. It's going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be a learning curve. But if his results at USC are any indication of what a new normal could look like, then it's definitely going to be worth it. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Joe Way. And as usual, first, a word from our sponsor. Feel free to click skip forward a few times to jump right to the interview. Okay, hush button. Do you know what the most used function is during a video conference? It is muting the microphone. And a typical conference room may have a touch panel at one end of the table, but that doesn't do the rest of the meeting participants any good. And that's where the idea of the hush button was born. Why not give everybody at the table a way to reach out and mute their microphone and be able to see very clearly at a glance which microphones are on and which are off. It's a simple lighted switch that gets built into the table. It's designed to accept a table microphone or also known as a boundary microphone. It could also be used with ceiling microphones. And because it has an open API, it can actually be programmed to do just about anything. You could select a laptop with it, turn a system on and off, or click five times fast and call a taxi if that's what's required. So if you have an AV project coming up and you want to give each user at the table, the simplest control interface on the market. Please go to catchtechnologies.com and have a look at Hushbutton. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. This is, was a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time today. Um, if you could maybe just give me like a, a one or two minute background of where you're at now, what you're up to, and maybe what your path to get there was, just something really short to get the conversation going. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I am the director of learning environments at the University of Southern California. Um, so spent uh, you know 25 years in the business development side of the entertainment industry before moving into uh, higher ed in 2016. Was at Cal Baptist University. Now for the last uh, year and a half, I've been at uh, my alma mater, USC. So there we go. 
Ah, and what are you doing there at, at USC? What are you up to? And, all right. So, yeah, um, you tell you, it's, it's pretty interesting. We, uh, we've just done the, uh, we said the largest uh, upgrade of all of our classroom technologies in the history of the university because, um, you know, as uh, even pre-COVID, we were, re- we were test, you know, challenged by my boss to look at how technology was moving. And part of our digital transformation and our CIO said, we want to be the single best IT institute you know, uh, department in all of academia. And he used to say, you know, don't look at other schools. Let's go figure out what the Amazons and the Googles and all of them are doing and let's go do it. And that sounded like a blank check to me. So what I started doing was looking at the direction our, our technology was moving in. And so we've recently completed um, as people know, we have the largest uh, Crestron BC4 deployment in the world. Um, we have our entire backbone is software and um, and IP based. So I, you know, I really wanted to look and see could I do a true ecosystem that was solely made up of nodes, in encoders and decoders, and could everything that we do? I don't want to own anything. I don't want to have a bunch of black boxes. I just want to see can we integrate APIs of a lot of the services that we offer. Well, how can we do that? So we really sat, you know, to look at programming from a way that really speaks to our users and their needs and figuring out what is the entire uh, customer path? What do they do? What do they need to do when they use a classroom? And can we account for that to simplify everything? Um, from the second they walk into a room. And in fact, we do it from the second they hit their, their card swipe to open the doors, full automation, it, the rooms know who they are. It knows the Zoom call they need to join. It automatically joins them. Everything is fully voice controlled uh, and connected to their LMS as well. Um, so we really wanted to do this from a customer centric point of view, um, which was very different than what I came from. Before we were very, um, in my previous institution, I did a full campus upgrade, but I did went the complete opposite, and I looked at uh, configurable types of things, you know, which is what you see a lot in higher ed. You know, I've got volume, and I want a simple drag and drop, and make it very simple and easy to support. Um, and then kind of went the other way, um, which ironically is is a complete different level of um, complexity, yet what you can achieve for your user, uh, once you get a basic understanding of how these work together is just night and day. So, Thank you. How's for, that for an overview? That, that's, that's <laughs> incredible. And it's kind of a theme I'm starting to see a little bit. So you mentioned the configurator was very AV centric. It was based on audio and video signals, displays, DSPs, loudspeakers, and taking this extra step when you said, how do we make our end users? How do we make the best system for them? By analyzing their workflow, that brought you to integrating many more technologies than just AV. And just a few you mentioned was identification, right? Using their ID cards to, to actually find out who is there. And then going so far, because you're in a, uh, a university, you actually even hook up with the LMS, a learning management system. And that's something that is not, you know, that's not a, a loudspeaker or a video display. Those two technologies that are on kind of the, um, that's framing the technology in the room 
I think is extremely interesting. So being that you went from this one paradigm to the other, what was, well, I want to know both, but let's start with what were the biggest challenges? Um, Biggest challenge was um, half, you know, learning curve and doing something that had never been done before. Um, And that was, you know, when we first started developing this, which was really December of 20, I guess it was 2019 uh, was when I first started developing it. And, you know, you kind of heard a little bit about, you know, CH5 or, you know, HTML5, restaurants flavor of it, and heard a little bit about, you know, what VC4 could do. Um, a little bit of, hey, can the back room, you know, IMX room from Sure, and can we do a software thing? So I started getting feelers out going, if there's a software thing, what can I do? And I started putting all this stuff down on paper and went, oh, this is really great. Problem is a lot of this technology doesn't exist yet. Um, I'm being told it's going to exist, <laughs> but it doesn't exist. Yet. Do you have any examples? Well, um, you know, we had, it wasn't really until, you know, ISE that IMX Room was announced. What is that? Uh, so Shure's uh, software-based DSP, um, which we hacked uh, Crestron's UC engine in order to make it live on the on their Nook, essentially it's a Nook, um, you know, and we're talking to Crestron about wanting to do it. And they're saying, well, we don't know if it can be done. And then we're talking to Sure about whether or not it can do it. Well, we don't know if it can be done. And we're like, no, no, no really, we have it running in a test lab. We've done it. We've hacked it. Um, and, you know, but of course, these are all things that people, are, they're still working on. This was a year ago before there was, this was really, you know, a year and a half ago now, uh, before this was really thrown out there. Um, and then just figuring out how we could um, integrate. So I think it's funny is when I, I said I wanted, originally I thought I wanted to do an I, AV over IP system. That's kind of where I started, right? What am I going to do? I looked at all the different options out there. And that was just pushing content around, right? The only thing that you really, you know, AV over IP really just means I'm going to use a cat cable instead of an HDMI cable, right? right. That's, that's essentially how, where the AV industry talks about it but yeah. it can be so much more than that well maybe right? control can, signals too exactly well yeah and indeed um but i think a lot of it is like you know when you look at things like hdbht or hdboe it's like okay all you really did was change change the cable type we didn't really change and utilize networking quote unquote uh in the same way an it department would in the same type way computer scientists would we just changed a cable type so that now we don't have to pull it through walls. The infrastructure team can pull it through the wall. Do you have an example of a feature that IT might implement that, that we don't? <sighs> um, well, that's good. That's a good question. Something they, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to go as simple as security um, and access management, but I kind of have to go there because I think those are things we don't think a lot about. And it was a really big learning curve for me as we brought our systems in and I first put our line drawings down and there was a lot of boxes connecting boxes. And I said, I don't want to do this. And I want to slowly start making the, the little boxes turn into clouds. Yeah. And can I start? And, and that was where we started recognizing, well, if I can do this and I can have an API to control, you know, our service now ticketing, then I can do something with our classroom scheduling and then our LMS. And I started realizing, wait, right sign cloud. I mean, I can put our digital signage in here too. And Zoom has an API. And then we started looking into all these things and went, 
oh, we're getting way away from our AV. And we're talking about how we can connect services. Services, yeah. yeah. And if I can yeah. connect services and not just a bunch of boxes sitting in lecterns, I can completely change the user experience. And that was really what we were able to do. And then switching to an HTML5-based touch panel system. Because um, again, if it can be a web page, it can do anything, right? You're not stuck by whatever it is you're going to do on you know, your, your standard drag and drop of a picture and what that button is going to control. And I think that really was the biggest change for me is it was a learning curve. There's no doubt. And I'm very thankful for my team that they could figure that out. Fascinating. Um, services, not boxes. I think that really puts a, a fine point on the difference between IT and AV, uh, at, at least one aspect of it. Because even as somebody who manages a system, you know, how, how do you manage an AV system? Well, you usually go there and you have software from 10 different manufacturers and you work on that one piece of a box. But when everything is reachable over the network and done in some kind of a standardized way, then you could, yeah, start and stop services. And one of those could be, you know, who's allowed to access a system. And then you get into what you were talking about, people swiping their ID card. And now the room is allowed to be used, for example. Yeah. And, and let me tell you, it's, it's very interesting because it takes a very different mindset. And I'll, and I'll be the first to admit, it was scary as all heck. Because when you have a room go down in a traditional AV system, it's just signal flow. Right. I came from live entertainment. If a mic doesn't work, you chase it back. Right. You look seeing where the lights are. Right. And you can pretty much figure out where the point of failure is. Well, in a network based system, especially one that's based on a lot of coding and a lot of APIs and pulling in a lot of different services, you know, you could have, you know, we could have a mic go. You know, if all of a sudden there's, you know, no audio doesn't necessarily mean the mic is turned on or off. It could be that, but it could be. The software-based DSP is where the actual mic is not connected to the network switch. It could be that the Zoom interface through the Dante and the odd, you know, through our uh, Dante domain manager, there's about five or six different places there could actually be a problem of which only one or two are actual physical ones, right? That makes service much different um, and definitely takes a different level of training from our, our staff to understand where those various points of failure could be. Um, yeah, and, and that's still our learning curve now. And, and that's one of those things that we're having to adjust our mindset to know that support is very different when you're not talking about connecting physical things as much as the services software-based things. So I think it's important to uh, recognize how much mindset plays um, when, when doing anything new. And you mentioned training and support. So just keeping that in mind that our training is going to be different, our support workflow is going to be different. Is there anything else that was important to kind of mitigate those, I guess, those fears of, of not being able to fix things quickly? Um, yeah, being on an island, that was our big, we recognized this really early as we started putting our plans together and they grew and grew and grew. It wasn't necessarily just about the things we needed to learn because there was a lot we needed to learn, but it was about who do we need to know, right? Who, who on our, you know, we sit there and go, we fall under central IT, but we're always like the black sheep of central IT, right? The, mm -hmm. the push the TV card around people, but, and that's how everyone else looks at us. And so we went, okay, well, we need to meet the rest of IT. Well, what does that mean? Oh, well, 
infrastructure, the people pulling the cable, um, you see, you know, for our Zoom and SoftBone connectivity. But we also need to have application services we need to get to know because they're in charge of Blackboard. All, you know, so we start recognizing, oh, there's a lot of people involved and there's a lot of partnerships we have to grow. Um, and they also have skill sets too, right? We don't need to go learn how to, you know, a lot of stuff. We don't have to learn how to HTML5 because we got an entire department who knows it. We got student workers who are computer science yeah. master students who can, we can pay minimum wage to to design our user interface, right? Like, okay, these are things. And I think that was the biggest thing is who are the new people to talk to? I think in traditional AV, we spend so much time thinking, uh, okay, it's an on-site install. So we're going to talk to uh, maybe the end user, but more likely the GC, the electrical contractor and the architect, right? Those are the people. And then every now and then you're going to write somebody to complain that there's no data jack somewhere. That's how you, now we can't do that. A lot of different relationships in, you know, those back offices of someone in a cubicle who never, will never, maybe never even show up on site. That was our biggest thing is recognizing those people at the meet. So you're speaking now from the perspective of a technology owner. And a lot of the relationships you just mentioned are internal to the organization. Can you change your perspective for a minute and give us some insight to what this kind of a application looks like for an integrator. Yeah. um, Well, I I think there's a huge opportunity for integrators here. Um, Now I think that the biggest change that's going to have to be done is looking at the types of services that are offered. There's a huge opportunity for managed services here, right? Because can you manage somebody's network? you know, um, what types of, you know, remote management. I mean, those are the different possibilities. Um, More than likely, no one's going to let you come in and take over their network and their IT department, right? Um, It's more people you're going to need to meet to get a job done. But that doesn't mean, you know, we're using, you know, for example, you know, you know, we have XIO Cloud, Fusion Cloud. Um, Like I said, I'm a big fan of cloud anything. Give me something cloud and I'll buy it. Now, all those mean I don't need to be on site to service that, to manage it, to understand it, to have my dashboard tell me there's a problem, to be a- ahead of the curve. So that means that's a spot for an integrator. An integrator can sell those services, right? They can say, hey, they can host the Fusion Cloud and the XI Cloud or whatever flavor. I'm just using the ones we have, but it's whatever the flavor of the month is. And now um, you sell that back. You sell that type of remote monitoring and the net when you can, you can get a, you know, for lack of better words, I know that they're not the company to talk about right now, a solar winds dashboard, right? There are things that can be done um, that allow an integrator to provide a more holistic uh, offering of support, right? It doesn't just have to be that your support package means that you're going to be on site in 24 hours. Yeah, that's still needed, but it can be a lot more than that. If once you've moved to a true uh, IT-based enterprise and ecosystem, yeah, you can repair the whole thing remotely. You probably don't even need to come on site. Um, and I think that's huge opportunity. Yeah, it, definitely a skill upgrade would be required. Um, can you put? Say you were working at a, a smaller organization and you needed to outsource some of the things you were just talking about. What would be uh, some selling points that would really get your attention? 
uh, scalability, very simple to scale, um, a frictionless user experience, the fact that I don't need as many boots on the ground. I mean, I can start listing off all these reasons of that I've recognized since we've done this, you know, and I think the greatest example is my audio engineer who has, can, you know, configured, I think we have somewhere close to 3000 audio nodes on our system. Um, she does it from her own home. She used to come into the office, but she does it from her home. So if my audio person can do it from home, that's huge. That's um, which means that we, when we have an issue, guess what? She can solve it from home. So, so can an integrator now. And that's something that I can't always get if I'm a traditional, you know, in-house team. I don't have that ability to easily scale up a space. You know, if I can have some, you know, an inter pain integrator, or even if I had to do my own in-house team where I go in and I put a ceiling mic up, a camera, you know, the UC engine, something, right? Control. Now the, you know, or maybe it's one day from an integrator on site. And everything else can be done remotely, all support, all configuration, uh, you know, programming, pushing it, everything can be done that way. Um, and that's huge. That's huge value, especially for the small school. See, I also look too. people sit there and ask, say all the time, well, you could do that because you're USC. Mm -hmm. I can say, no, you should do that because you're not USC, because you don't have the budget to hire 12 staff and 100 student workers like I do. You are yourself and maybe two other techs. You are the one who should be paying for these cloud services and remote monitoring services because it's gonna save you a lot in the long run because you're sneaker net right now. And that's not fun when you have you know four or five rooms going down, but you're a staff of two, right? That's that scalability that, uh, that really means the smaller person should be doing it, not me. You know, that makes a lot of sense and uh, I'm with you all the way, but I've encountered, I mean, it comes back to mindset. If you're used to that sneaker net type of uh, workflow, it's hard to, um, to just change, especially unless you have a CIO like you do, who said, go make something great and let's catch up with the rest of the technological world because AV may not even be on people's radar because people are working their butts off to make it work every day. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Um, but I think what you need to do is you sell um, the long-term saving and the ability to improve services. Mm. Another little thing in kind of our higher ed cir circles is, um, and we see this a lot on our message boards and our kind of back end, you know, the quote unquote, what is your... Um, life cycle or how often, you know, how often do you upgrade? And you hear this, oh, we do it five years. We do it seven years. You know what my answer is now? When Every does day. Zoom come up with their next, you know, upgrade? When does so-and-so come up with their next service? What software do we not even know exists right now that'll be popular in a year? If they have an API, it's part of my system. Yeah, because that's not when I have, yeah. exactly. And, you know, and when you sit there and go, well, they will never approve having a subscription-based plan or, you know, because I, I, the way, you know, it's CapEx versus OpEx, right? And they're never going to approve that because I'm like, wait, then throw the numbers down. If you're going to give me $2 million to go upgrade, you know, oh, this wing of a, you know what I can do with $2 million with software? I don't, I'm not going to just do a wing of something. I'm going to redo our entire campus. 
you know, and that's, and I think that that's where we have to start changing thinking is just because you're used to looking at it as a project usually goes under the capital expenditures. Mm. That's understandable if you're doing a new building, but it doesn't need to be that way when you're talking about normal, regular upgrades. And that's what I love. I mean, we've already had three or four iterations of our system and we're not even open from COVID yet. You know, <laughs> like every time we recognize, oh, wait, we can integrate this. We can, it's like, I actually want COVID to be over and students to come back so that we stop upgrading it. You know, we just keep, we're, we're sitting around alone with too many ideas and then going, oh, look at this, look at this API. Well, look at this one. And next thing you know, we're, we're going crazy. That's a, a really great advantage that I, that may not be obvious at first blush is that you could react quickly to new features that are available on the market without having to um, really do much at all. If you have a subscription to that service and they push a new update, it's just kind of there. Exactly. It might be meaning adding a new button or changing a little bit of something because a new feature is there, but that's mm. simple. Like that's easy, especially if you're using HTML, it's a couple of lines and all of a sudden it appears, right? Right. It's not difficult at all. Yeah. So one of my pet peeves with AV is that we, or from, so my background is in programming, working for integrators. We kind of deliver version 0.1 and, and that's it. And we don't really get any feedback. So I always like talking to people who live with these systems every day. Um, what kind of, it, do you use any kind of um, user feedback loop to create these these updates? Uh, we do. Um, in, in fairness, because of COVID. Now, we planned the system pre-COVID. Okay. When COVID hit, that what it did for us is instead of waiting till May to install, we got, got to do it last March. Um, so we've had limited use because USC announced that we're on, you know, we went virtual this last year, even though now with LA being in the red, we're going to start some on-prem this week. But um, that said, the faculty have been able to use the rooms, like they can use the classrooms and stream from them if they want to, instead of staying home. So that said, we've gotten a lot of feedback. I keep saying it's the best of all worlds because we've been able to have controlled environments, right? We're not worried about students there. We're not worried. And we can get real feedback. That said, it's not the type of feedback I would ever necessarily suggest. It's not a full system. It's literally, you know, thing we're testing. We're, there, are, there are guinea pigs. There are test cases, um, which is good. It's not what we would do if we were really running. But, uh, but getting their feedback, and I think, you know, here's an example I use, you know, kind of taking us full circle back to my, in my uh, beginning where I was saying we really want to look at things from our customer's point of view and our end, end user's point of view. What we did is we actually took them, and we've done this a few times since. We said, we want you to walk into the room and you tell us what you do and just say it out loud, pretend we're not here and we're just going to record you. And it's okay. I come in the room and then I set my stuff down and then I take my laptop out and I try to remember what class am I teaching that, right? And they go through this stuff, it. right? Yeah. And, you know, and we've done that again. And so when this is one of the things we did, like, you know, every system says what? System on and system off. <laughs> well, ours doesn't say that. You know what ours says? Start class and end class. Because that's what our faculty said they do. Well, I come in and then I want to start class. And then I come in. How great is that from their point of view? When they walk to it, it says start class. That's what I want to do. Yeah. It doesn't say system on. And that's one example. 
And so we've redone that now that we've had some of our users being able to use it for a few months. We said, okay, now do it again. Now that you have our new system, now what do you really do? And they will go, okay, well, they come over here and then I do this and I take my Zoom license and then I figure out what my Zoom room is. And then I got to make sure they connect to the Zoom. And they said, we said, oh, wait, you did three steps of Zoom this, Zoom that, Zoom that. We have an automation we need to create. Yep. Because now, and, and that was, so we need to take that three steps of Zoom and make it one. And that was where our whole tying it to um, our classroom scheduling, where we knew who they were. They said, well, it has to Zoom has to know who I am. It has to know my room number. Well, can we have a service suite that, that knows that? And we tie that service in. And now it's a one-step connecting. Um, and so those were the types of ways that we do this. It's just letting them talk about what they do. Yeah. And not having to speak our language. What is it they do? And we actually adopt their language more than we adopt our own language. And that helps. That's incredible. I, I think that's extremely useful. Um, and I'm sure that like ideas come up that have nothing to do with AV because the goal of the technology is to make people's lives easier. So if you're hearing in these conversations that they try to remember what class they have next, well, that's actually probably a, a very simple digital signage application to have a little tablet on the podium that tells them the schedule of the room. Yep. And that's not In something fact, we actually do. Yeah. Well, look at that. There you go. <laughs> and that's not something you might think of right away when you think of classroom AV. Yep. Yeah, no. And it, it's, it's amazing when you start looking at things that way. And this is where I'm just amazed with what we did. I, I'll be honest. Like when I, a year and a half ago, when I was brought in to USC to do this, because it was part of our digital transformation that I was hired for doing this. And I, I ain't going to lie. I, I didn't put my resume away very far because I thought this thing could fail miserably. <laughs> I mean, it's a great idea, but it could fail and fail fast. And if I just had to spend millions of dollars on something that is just going to fail miserably, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to, I'll have resume handy. Um, what gave you the confidence but, to, to, to go through with it? Um, well, my CIO said, who cares? If you're going to fail. Just be honest. Let us know when it fails, you know, and let's come up with a plan. And so that was good. And, you know, and also just a great team. I have a, an incredible team and great partners. They are, our manufacturer partners have been fantastic. Even our integration partners who, you know, I was flat on. I mean, it also took being vulnerable and saying, look, I don't actually know this is going to work. In theory, it works. In theory, our, our AV has evolved to a certain point. Everyone talks about it. We've never actually seen it work, but someone can do it. Mm. And so it was pulling that together and kind of getting building the team behind it and getting the rally behind, okay, we can do this. And that's what's been amazing. And now I sit there and go, all the ideas we have and ideas that I've never thought of when we did traditional, you know, point to point, you know, in, you know, rooms that were self-contained, yeah. run an RS-232 to the display and an HDMI to the project, like just things you never thought of with traditional AV switching and control that now we get ideas that I got to hold my team back. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really excited to think like, what's it going to be in a year from now? What's going to be two years from now? I'm excited about next, the next summer after we've had a year of students back after COVID and they want to integrate more services and, you know, can we integrate with, you know, other services around campus? Um, 
can our digital sign, we've already worked our digital signage into all of our classrooms. So if a, instead of a screen just turning off, it turns into digital signage during, you know, in between classes. So now we have our own marketing system. Yeah. And I brought someone with a PR major in to kind of take it, you know, to be doing all that stuff. So it's like, who would have ever thought that, that that 10 minutes between classes can actually become a marketing tool? No one ever thinks of stuff like that. Um, but it's kind of started happening. And I think that's what it's going to be very exciting two years from now when we go, what have we done now? I love it. I bet your CIO is pleased because you are actually getting much more out of the technology than, than you were in the past. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he loves to brag about us too, which is great. Excellent. I'm happy about that. We're I don't have, have to, I don't have to keep my resume up to date. <laughs> nice. We're going to have to follow up in a year so you could tell us about uh, the, the journey, how things evolve. Absolutely. Any final Absolutely. thoughts? No, no. Thank you very much. I, I, you know, I will just say out there, um, this was great to kind of reminisce. So thank you for the opportunity to kind of go back and let me relive this last year and a half to recognize where we've gone. And this is an exciting time in AV. Um, I'm just going to say, you know, be fearless for everyone out there and, you know, sell this stuff. There's huge opportunities for integrators and manufacturers to um, really take our technology to new levels. As the world has changed and the world has gone to a UCAV centric uh, environment, you know, go after it. Huge opportunities for us. Um, and we just need that, as we already talked about, that mindset change. Um, but it's there and it's right for us to take. Excellent. I love the sentiment. Thank you so much for sharing everything with us today. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Yeah, they can find me uh, on all the socials at Josiah Way. So that's uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, at Josiah Way. All right. Thanks a lot, Joe. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Integrating Technology. If you have a moment, please consider going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. It really does help other AV professionals find us in the podcast world. Thanks. HTML5. The web browser is finally getting some attention in the AV systems integration market. And I say finally because I believe that the web browser is the most underutilized, undervalued, underappreciated technology of the past few decades. When you think of a browser, you think of going to websites. But actually, the web browser is a platform to run all different kinds of programs, including AV control. And you don't need an internet connection. I'm in the middle of putting together some material to explain exactly how an AV user interface with HTML5 would work and to clear up some misconceptions about how to do it. And it's not easy. Learning a new programming language always has a learning curve, but using HTML5 in AV projects, there's a reason why we haven't been doing it all along. It's hard to do. But if you're up for a challenge or if you're just curious about how it works so you could speak more intelligently about it, Go to learnavprogramming.com slash HTML5 and get yourself informed.